Welcome to The Link Church. We pray this week's message inspires you to have a meaningful relationship with Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. All right, I've blown my voice out. Take your seats. But as I say, I've blown my voice out, so I'm going to need you to be preaching with me tonight. Can we do that? Awesome. So the first thing I'm going to need you to do is to spin to the person next to you, put on your best doctor impression, and can I get you to shout, clear? Right, that was very good from four of you. But it's so good to be with you here tonight, and it's so good to see the place packed out. I love that church is growing. I love that we're taking ground. I love that we're improving. Now, we're coming to the end of a series on revival. And if you've somehow got all the way through this series and you still don't know what revival is, revival means to resuscitate something, to take something that is dead and bring it back to life. By hook or by crook, taking something dead and dragging it back to this side of life. And when we're talking about revival in the church, we're talking about an awakening. We're talking about when the church comes back to life. Because when the church is alive, God starts to move powerfully on the earth. We see miracles. We see healing. We see people meeting Jesus left, right and centre because the church is functioning the way it should. And that is something that we all desperately need to see for our faith and for the sake of this city. So if you haven't been with us for the first two weeks, uh, please go check out the first two sermons. They are fantastic. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Podcasts. So if you've got nothing to listen to while you're driving, you do now. Basically, if there is a podcasting platform out there, we are on it. But to give you a quick recap of where we've been so that you can follow along from today... In the first week of our series, we had Pastor Andrew sharing about what revival is. That a revival is that resurrecting of something that is dead and bringing it back to life. And how currently we are in a city that is so lost and so hurt and so devastated, they might as well be practically dead, if not just spiritually dead. And if I could re-preach that for just a quick second, I'd like to show you something. Have we got the map? Sweet. So this is a map taken from the last census. And the greener a region, the more religious it is. And the more purple a region, the less religious it is. And so Christianity being the majority religion, if you're in a green area, you are more likely to know Jesus. Now, life is happening to all of us, and it's devastating, and it comes full on. But if you don't know Jesus, if you're one of those purple dots, it happens a lot harder to you. Don't get me wrong, bad things happen to Christians too. Just because you accepted Jesus isn't your get-out-of-anything-wrong-free card. But the reality is, if you don't know that God loves you, that he cares for you, that he is desperate to know you, life happens to you a whole lot harder. We all remember what it's like to be unsaved and going through the devastating facts of life. And currently we're living in a world where there is way too much purple on that map. And God is hoping that we will get revived so that we can go out and reach our city and bring them through that hurt, through that devastation, through that pain and into the love of God. Our goal, the thing we don't stop until we achieve, is to turn that whole map green. Amen? So that's enough of week one. We move on to week two where we learnt about revival can't just be this one-off event that happens, we pack it up, we go home, and that's it. It needs to be a continuing part of our lives. 
all right, I've been told. But revival needs to be a continuing part of our lives. If we're going to reach this city, it's going to take all of us working together and taking every opportunity that we can get our hands on. It can't just be this something that happens on a Sunday and then we go home and go, yep, we had revival, check, done. Because church isn't just the thing that happens here on a Sunday. We are church and we need to be bringing a revival. So today we finally get to phase three, the exciting bit, the game plan. This is the part that you and I get to play in revival. What is it going to take for us to see a revival in this city? And to show you that, I want to take you to what is arguably the first revival of all of them, Acts chapter 2. Now, the disciples in this passage receive the Holy Spirit and they just start to be the church. They've heard about the church, but now they get to actually be the church. And so it starts in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly, not casually, suddenly... There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. You know, the divided tongues of fire, we've all seen it. And and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, that's other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude, the entire city came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Jump to verse 14. Peter sees an opportunity. He stands up with the 11, raised his voice and said to them, verse 22. It goes on for a little bit. It's not super relevant. I'm going to save you some time. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Him being delivered and by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, you have crucified and you put to death, whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. We have a living saviour inside of us. Amen. Jump to verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He goes straight on the attack and says, Israel, it's your fault. Jesus is dead, but it's okay. He's alive. Verse 41, and this amazes me. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles and that is church. Just think about that for one second. In one day, God's word goes out, changes 3,000 people's lives, starts to break out miracles everywhere And the church that we're now a part of was formed all the way back then. And as we saw last week, that wasn't just for one day. That continued. That should put some excitement in your belly. That is what functioning church should look like. Amen? 
With just 11 men, God reaches 3,000 people and the miraculous becomes so common in Jerusalem that the Bible has to go, well, these are the common miracles, the everyday ones, the normal sensible ones, and here are the weird miracles. You know, because there's normal miracles and then there's the unusual one. So where are we? Some days I'm not sure, but I know for a fact that we're not like the church in Acts. Not yet. Our church is growing, but it's not growing nearly fast enough to reach that city. And every day that we're not functioning like the church in Acts, more and more people out there are dying without knowing Jesus. We need to be more effective than we are now. We need to be more powerful than we are now. We need to be doing something more potent than what we're doing right now. We need revival. And God is more than willing to take us there. My fear is this. I'm not sure that we're willing to go there. Now, on the surface, that sounds like a stupid point. We hear about the miracles. We hear about the wonders of God. We hear about people knowing Jesus, and we think, yeah, love that. Bring that. And we want that part of it, sure. But I think we want it to happen on our terms. Too many of us are hearing this word revival and we think of something like this. Can I get that first image? We think of church, the building church. Four walls, a nice platform, a neat little three-song worship set followed by a 35-minute message. Hopefully not anything too challenging, just a nice encouraging word all wrapped up in this predictable one-hour service on a Sunday afternoon because we need our weeknights free for other stuff. We think of something comfortable. We think of what we know. We sort of have this idea that revival is just going to be business as usual, only somehow more holy. Like we could control revival, box it into something small and convenient that you can take part in once and then go, that's it, I'm done. Tick the box, I've done revival, it's all good. But revival is the furthest thing from that. If I could give you a picture of what revival actually looks like, how the apostles thought about revival, it wouldn't be a church, it would be this. Revival is another word for resuscitate. Again, it literally means to take something that is dead and bring it back to life. And now if all you know about resuscitation comes from Grey's Anatomy, let me set you straight. They make it look really glamorous. There is hairspray and makeup and lights and glitz and glamour, but that is the furthest thing from revival. Revivals are not glamorous. Resuscitations are not clean or organised. They're not casual. You can't just show up and go, yeah, I'm going to resuscitate someone, it'll be great. They're not business as usual. They're a hectic mass of chaos and desperation. See, in a resuscitation bay at a hospital, the patient on that table is either already dead or actively trying to get there. They don't have time for things like half measures and shortcuts and eh, maybe this will work. The people that are working there have to jump in and do whatever it takes. Blood is going to be spilled in a resuscitation. Holes are going to be cut. Tubes will be crammed into places where tubes do not belong. Because there are severed hearts that need to be stitched back together, punctured lungs that need to be reinflated, and fresh blood and fluids to pump in where the patient has lost blood. If a heart rhythm is shockable, you don't go, well, what's the non-invasive procedure? You electrocute the entire patient to get to that heart. And if that heart rhythm is not shockable, you don't go, well, you know, maybe we'll just stroke them gently. 
you crush their entire chest to squeeze whatever little blood they have in their heart out and back in again. A dying patient on that table isn't going to thank you for your half measures or your gentle operations. They're going to want you to bring them back to life. So what you see in that place is you see a staff who move with all the urgency in the world. They don't stand back and just hope that the body is going to heal itself or get there on its own. They jump in at the first opportunity and make themselves useful. Time is critical. Every second counts. So everyone helps, everyone works, and no one takes the easy way out. Every person in in that room is there for one reason and one reason only, because they are willing to do whatever it takes to get that patient back to life and keep them that way. And that is the picture that I want to give you for revival. A group of all of us, different backgrounds, different expertises, different understandings of the world, working together to bring that city back to life and keep it that way. It should be a united church, all of us willing to be able to push beyond our own limits, beyond the limits of human performance, of human capacity, beyond tiredness, beyond carelessness, beyond apathy, to do whatever it takes day in, day out to save one more life. If we're going to be bringing a revival to this city, that is the level of desperation that we need to be reaching. We need to get so desperate and hungry for God to revive this city that it starts to physically hurt. God's not calling us to half measures or shortcuts or gentle operations. He's calling us to that whatever-it-takes attitude. And if you're not there with me tonight, let me just remind you of what's at stake here. All it takes is to peel back that curtain and have a quick glance out that window and you will see a city that is desperate for God, whether they know it or not. For most of the people out there, they're not really living. Life is kind of just happening to them. People can barely afford to eat. Homelessness is skyrocketing. Depression and anxiety are wreaking havoc on entire generations. Cancer is destroying lives, and in the midst of all of that chaos, there is still a pandemic raging that will not go away. And those are going to be difficult circumstances for anyone to deal with. But for the people out there, they're in the fight of their lives, and they don't realize that there is someone in their corner. They don't know that there is a God that is fighting for them, desperate to reach them. They don't have the peace of God in their heart. They can't hear his voice. They can't hear his promises saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. And they're certainly not gathered here with a community of believers that are willing to die for one another. That should physically hurt you inside to hear about. But that is the reality of our situation. There are 140,000 people out there on that gurney dying in front of us. And we're in here talking about revival when we should be living it. And it's possible. The book of Acts shows us that we can do it. So today I'm going to give you that template. The template for revival. God's plan to reach this city. And once you get a hold of this blueprint, you can start a revival anytime, anywhere. Wherever you are, you can start revival. But I'm asking you, as you listen to what I have to say, Let what you've just heard stir you on the inside. The passion that we have for this city is going to be what drives us to action. And we're going to need all of that passion inside of us if we're going to make this work. I'm warning you right now, revivals are messy. 
They're not easy. They take a lot of work because life is messy and this city needs work. You know what the room looks like at the end of a resuscitation? It is a disaster. There's blood everywhere. There's discarded equipment, tubes left on the floor, operating gowns just in a mess. And if you look around the table, you'll see in the corner, huddled in the fetal position, a bunch of exhausted staff. And it's going to be the same for us in revival. So I'm begging you, keep that sense of desperation. Keep your heart for this city and your desire to see them changed, to see their lives changed, to see them come to know Jesus. God hasn't chosen this city for revival because it's supposedly special or holy or unusual. He's chosen it because they need him. So are we ready? Are we passionate? Awesome. Let's dive in. I want to take you to the building blocks of the revival that we've just read about, to the precursor of that revival in Acts. So let's zoom back into about 10 days before then. So to give you some context on where we are in the timeline, 10 days before the revival in Acts is 40 days after Jesus came back to life. And if you don't know that story, I'm just going to give you a quick breakdown. Hopefully you've heard it. If not, here's the gist. The Son of God came down to earth, died in our place, took the weight of our sin, our sickness, and our selfishness. And then, just to show death who's boss, he came back to life. Then he spent the next 40 days showing himself to around about 500 people, just to have some people around saying, yeah, I saw that guy, he's definitely not dead. So at this point, 10 days before the revival in Acts, we're 40 days out from the resurrection. And Jesus is having a meal with his disciples. And in the middle of that, he stands up and Mark 16, 15, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow them who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. And then before the disciples have a chance to ask any questions about what this game plan entails, boom, Jesus is taken up into heaven. I think often we read through the Bible and it's easy to get lost and let the words wash over us. But think about how bizarre that would have been. In the middle of lunch, Jesus just stands up and goes, here's what you do. And then whoosh, he's just gone. Like, how do you take that and the things that he said and just start to make sense out of that? To me, it's mind-boggling, but apparently the disciples figured it out. They sat, they thought about it, they meditated, they shared with one another. And when they realized what it meant, they went out and did it. And it worked. So these last words of Jesus to his disciples before he left aren't just a goodbye or a you guys be blessed. They're his instructions to his church. Up till now, there wasn't a church, but he was empowering them to be the church. And those instructions are just as relevant for us today as the church as they were for the church back then. Now, if you've been in church for a very long time, this scripture tends to get read a lot, so I'm warning you. It is way too easy to just listen and let the words wash over you and go, yep, heard this, check the box, keep going. But they're words that should be shaking you to the core, changing your life. These words transform those scared, insecure, cowardly disciples 
into the revival crack team we see in Acts. Before this, the Bible has the audacity to call the disciples doubters because they still couldn't get with the program about Jesus being back alive. But by the time they roll up in Acts, they are on fire. They are ready to start revival. They are ready to change lives. They cast out demons. They spoke with new tongues. If you keep reading, you see them take up serpents and drink deadly poison, and then they just don't die. They lay hands on the sick, and the sick recover just as Jesus predicted. So in light of all of that, can we take another look? Mark 16, 15, and he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow them who? Them who? In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Did you catch all of that? Pay very close attention to what Jesus is saying here. And in particular, pay very close attention to who he said would see signs, wonders, miracles. He didn't say these signs will follow them who have done a four-year diploma in ministry studies and a two-year master's in divinities. He didn't say these signs will follow them that are super-duper holy who have never sinned or who are good people. He didn't say these signs will follow them that were born at a time of revival and were lucky enough to be serving at church and it just fell into their laps. No, he says them who believe. That is the only condition on being qualified for revival. Do you believe that Jesus can do it? You don't need a fancy degree. You don't need to have your life together. You don't need to be an ordained pastor and you don't even need to be a good person. You just need Jesus. And sometimes I feel like he's the one with all the power and all he's doing is standing there going, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Can we go? I have been waiting for 2,000 years. Can we hurry up? If there is one thing that you take away from this message, I hope it's this. If you believe in Jesus, you are capable of starting a revival wherever you are. And we have missed so much by thinking that revival is supposed to be this special time where God shows unusual and unprecedented favor to us and just really feels special about us, and that's what makes revival happen. That was never meant to be the plan. It wasn't supposed to be unusual. Revival is meant to be our lifestyle, our every day. All revival is is the church functioning the way it was always supposed to. It's a community of believers gathering, gathering around and having the guts to take God at his word. Do you realize that the power of God that is already inside of you is enough to change the world? Did you know that the gift of God that is inside you already is enough to change the destiny of the city out there? If you believe in Jesus, I promise you, you are qualified to see miracles. That's what it says in Mark 16, 15, and there is no getting around that. You can't argue your way out. You can't doubt your way out. No amount of self-doubt or self-loathing or pain or trauma is ever going to separate you from who you are in Christ. But Kurt, I'm not seeing miracles and revival in my life. Why? 
Sorry, that was mean. <laughs> if you feel like you're under a bus right now, just know I've been under here all week. The only difference between you and me is I've had time to repent. <laughs> but do you know what's stopping us from having a revival? What's been holding us back? Why we haven't seen just 2,000 years of the church blitzing it constantly? Yeah, it's us. The sad reality is, and we don't want to think about it, but it spells it right here in this verse. We're not making it happen. Verse 15 says it super clearly. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Ouch. And I don't know about you, but for me, it's tough to think that the thing that's been holding us back all this time, the thing that's holding this city back from revival, isn't some attack from the devil. It's not because the church is oppressed by some government. It's not anything unusual or spiritual out there. It's just our apathy, our laziness, and the fact that we haven't made it happen. Because it's all well and good to believe that God can revive this city, that he can save your friends, that he can heal the sick. But if we're not putting our beliefs into action, it's not going to do anything. The Bible says it very clearly. It says, faith without works is dead. But somehow when it's our turn to step up to that plate and reach out, it all becomes too hard. We decide that actually, you know what? We're quite comfortable with not having a revival. As long as I don't have to do anything. We settle into our favourite spot on the couch, flick on the telly, and we decide that you know, reaching the world is difficult. I'll just pray for it instead. But the ten, then the telly runs late. We've got to get up early, so we don't pray. Instead of we get up the next day, and instead of telling our friends and our co-workers about Jesus, we go, well, actions speak louder than words, so I'm just going to let my actions show Jesus today. But then we go out there and we live a life that is exactly the same as the world, with nothing to point them to the Christ that's inside of us. Then it comes around to Sunday, and instead of serving in the body of Christ, we tell ourselves that our work is our vocation. Walk worthy of the vocation to which you're called. I better do a good job at work and I'm too busy to serve. But then we get into work and we look exactly the same as everyone else. Whinging about Monday, complaining that it's not the weekend, complaining about the low pay and not blessing anyone or telling them about Jesus. And it's kind of like we're standing next to this bed, defibrillator paddles in hands, doing nothing and hoping that God is going to swoop into the room and do everything for us. Jesus was very, very clear. All of us need to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You have permission right there to start with your cat. It doesn't matter if you've done four years of Bible school or if you've done zero. It doesn't matter if you speak super eloquently or if your entire vocabulary could fit onto a napkin. It doesn't matter if you have the confidence of a stage performer or if the very thought of speaking to someone makes you want to curl up into a ball and cry. If you have the ability to talk to someone in your world, you have the ability to reach them for Christ. These signs, these wonders, these miracles, these revivals, they will all come if and only if we can start to look beyond our own insecurities and actually start sharing the good news about Jesus. Revival will break out in this city if we step out and show our world what it means to have God in our lives. We already have everything that we need inside of us. 
We know that God exists. We hear from him. We hear his voice. We have his peace. We have a voice of our own to use. So all that's left for us is to just start moving. And for those of you that are using the excuse that you don't know where to start, let me give you the greatest piece of advice that someone ever gave me about sharing with people. No, don't stress. I had the exact same excuse until someone cleared this up for me. All you have to do is just tell people what God has done for you. That entire sermon in Acts 2, you know, the one that got 3,000 people saved, go check it out in your own time. But it's literally Peter just going, I saw Jesus do this, and then I saw him do this. Then he went over here for a bit, and then he did this. When we're sharing with someone, it shouldn't be some deep theological treatise or our entire theology on a page. Please don't do that. There's enough of that in the world already. It shouldn't be some super persuasive argument where we've got all these enticing words and we're tricking people into trusting Jesus. It shouldn't be some clever logic trap or trick. Ha-ha, you replied with that. I've got you now. It should just be us honestly sharing from the heart what we have seen God do. And that is a story that everyone who knows Jesus can tell. Everyone who knows Jesus has been changed from death into life. All of us have had our world turned upside down. It's time for us to start moving. It's time for us to bring revival to this city. Come on, bow your heads. As I've said before, we could have revival right here, right now. And all it would take is for us to trust God, to trust his word and to actually step out in faith. All it takes is all of us starting to share with anyone who's going to listen. You know, sharing the gospel, praying for the sick, reaching our world, it sounds impossible, but it's as simple as stepping out. The plan is so simple that it only took 11 men to get a hold of this, and they brought thousands of people to Jesus daily. They went to every nation, they preached the gospel, and they built a church that we are all a part of. And it only takes 10 seconds. 10 seconds of courage is all it's going to take you to start a conversation. Now, I'm not necessarily asking you to stand on the street corner, preach to 3,000 people, and work 100 miracles. Although that being said, if God is calling you to do that, you better get a move on. Right here, right now, the only thing I am asking is that you make a decision that if you get 10 seconds to share with someone, that you take it. Because those 10 seconds of kindness, those 10 seconds of love, of conversation, it will change their world. I could go on forever about the first 3,000 people that Peter reached, but those 3,000 people had their own world to reach. And they didn't do it by sharing on street corners, Otherwise, the book of Acts would be way longer. They did it by taking those 10-second opportunities. That's what it takes to start a revival. That's what it takes to change the world. Come on, let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are in this place, that you are changing lives, that you have a plan for this city that isn't death and destruction. It is life and it is hope and it is destiny. Father God, we're saying that we are willing to work with you on this. We pray that you would give us those 10 seconds of boldness to step out and to reach our world for you. Father God, give us strength, give us wisdom, and empower us to do your work. 
in Jesus' name. Hang around in that presence of God just for a second. Keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed. While we're there, I just want to take a moment. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, maybe you don't have a story of how Jesus has changed your life. Maybe no one ever explained to you that God actually loves you, that he actually cares about you, and that he's reaching out to meet you. Or maybe you're drifted and you've so far gone that your story is less, Jesus saved me, and more, I'm feeling left behind. If either of those sound like you, if you've never had that encounter with Jesus where he changed your story, or if you've lost touch with that, can I ask you to just take 10 seconds of boldness and raise your hand while no one's looking around. If you need to be revived tonight, just slip up your hand. I see that 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 hand. 10 seconds of boldness is all it takes. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you for every decision that has just been made, whether the hand went up or whether it didn't. Father God, you see the heart. You know that there are people in this place ready to turn their hearts to you. Father God, I pray that you would bless them, that you would fill them, that you would give them a new life starting with you. Make your presence and your love so real to them that they cannot contain it. And restore them and revive them tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for being with us. We hope this message leaves you stirred to a place of action. If you made a decision to receive Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, need more resources or want to take your next step, linkthechurch.org has everything you need. Until next time, from everyone at The Link Church, God bless.